Let's uh, open your Bibles this morning and let's go over to uh, Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to join you there in just a moment. We're in the second installment. We started this last Sunday on the God of the impossible. The God of the impossible. Nine times in the New Testament, we have this recurring theme that God is the God of the impossible. Luke 18, 27 in the Passion Translation says, what appears humanly impossible is more than possible with God. For God can do what man cannot. Wow, that was so powerful, I'm gonna read it again. What appears to be humanly impossible. You ever had things that just appeared from your vantage point to be humanly impossible? There's just no way out. I don't see how this could ever work out. But what is humanly impossible to man is more than possible with God. For God can do what man cannot. You know, the prophet Jeremiah echoes that very same sentiment when he talks about the creation of the universe as the ultimate possibility. Listen to what Jeremiah 32, 17 says. He says, our Lord... Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing, nothing, nothing too hard for you. You know, if you can make the universe by, the, by speaking the words of your mouth, there's nothing too hard for God. So I want you to see the message translation says there's nothing you can't do. I believe that. I believe there's nothing that God cannot do. And I think that the foundation for that sentiment is in this phrase, and that is that the God of the impossible is unlimited in power and ability. The God of the impossible is unlimited in power and ability. And we're gonna build on that. And that, that, is, a, that is an article of faith that I think we all have to come to in our own personal lives, that the God of the impossible, there's nothing that limits his ability nor power. And so because of that, I wanna give you three things that I think are key. Number one, there's no power that he can't solve. Now, I mean, I'm sorry, no problem that he can't solve. I, I wanna do even one better. There's no problem that he won't solve. Number two, there's no prayer that he can't answer. But I want to do one better. There's no prayer that he won't answer. And then number three, there's no promise he can't keep. And I'm going to do one better for that one as well. There's no promise that he won't keep. So he's unlimited in power and authority. And so because of that, there's no problem, no prayer, no promise that he will not fulfill now, when I talk about being unlimited in power and ability, I'm reminded about Hebrews 11.3 from the New Living Translation says this, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was founded or formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Now, think about what he's saying here, that this is something that we accept by faith. And that is that the entire universe, 
was formed at or by God's command. God's command. That's Hebrews 11.3 from the New Living. The Passion Translation says, Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's word. He spoke. Think about that. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. The invisible realm, the spiritual realm gave birth. It is the master realm. This natural physical world is not the master realm. The master realm is the invisible spiritual realm gave birth to all that we see. The message translation says this, by faith, we see the world called into existence. That's an important phrase. We see the world, the universe, called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. Remember Genesis chapter one, it says that the spirit of God was brooding over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Hebrew language says that God, it says light be and light was. That's how God created by his words. And all through the book of Genesis chapter one, we see that God created by the words of his mouth. That's how he operates, by the words of his mouth. So he called into existence the universe. And what we see was made out of something that we don't see. The mirror translation that we don't have says that faith alone explains what is not apparent to the natural eye, how the ages were perfectly framed by the word of God. Now we understand that everything visible had this origin in the invisible. So that's a, an amazing revelation. And, and it's something that we accept by faith that God created the worlds by speaking words, words. Words carry power. Words carry power. We're going to see that clearly. Now, th this teaching about the God of the invisible, three weeks ago, Pastor Ann did a morning session on the suddenlies of God. Something happened suddenly. Now, there's one moment it was one way, and the very next moment it was a radically different way. Last Wednesday, uh, we were both studying. I, I was studying for Wednesday night. Pastor Ann was studying, or she was studying for Wednesday. I was studying for Sunday, whatever uh, the case was. Anyway, I was sitting in the chair upstairs, and when I stood up, I, I had a pain in my left hip that was so excruciatingly painful that I, I could not even hardly lift myself up to stand upright and could only take a couple of three steps until I had to stop and brace myself against the wall. I don't know what happened, but it just hit me just all of a sudden. And so I finally made my way downstairs and I asked Ann to pray for me and she laid her hand on my hip and instantly, I'm telling you, it suddenly happened. Instantly that pain left my body. Never to return, it left my body instantly. Now, here, here, here's the key thing. And she said this, she said, you know, we need to come to expect instantaneous healings, instantaneous deliverances. We need to come to expect that. And so if you just turn your expectation meter up, 
then I think that we're going to see more and more and more supernatural results. Now, let me give you a suddenly, I love this example, Acts chapter 2, a suddenly in the Bible where one moment it was one way and the next moment it was a radically different way. In Acts 2, 1, it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that these 120 were all of one accord and in one place in an upper room waiting for the promise of the Father. And then suddenly, suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, like a hurricane force wind. And notice the people in the streets heard it. They heard that rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them those 120 cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, gave them the words to speak. Now, this is an amazing thing to me. Suddenly, there was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. It was not there one moment and it was there the next moment. So we, we need to expect suddenlies, suddenlies in our lives because I believe that suddenlies describe the supernatural work of God. Amen. Amen. These suddenlies, the supernatural work of God. So I wanna, I wanna elaborate tonight on this first point that there is no problem that he won't solve. You know, I wrote in my notes, and I believe this with all my heart, that God is bigger, bigger than any problem I face. God is bigger than any problem you face. I don't care what the problem is. God is bigger than any problem you face. Remember Luke 18, 27 again, we read it first scripture, what appears humanly impossible is more than possible with God. For God can do what man cannot. Now, I want to give you a good example of what I mean that that Jesus is he's the problem solver. Whatever your problem is, he's greater than your problem. So I want to read from John chapter 2, a familiar text to all of us, and that's Jesus turning water into wine. Listen to this, verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage or to the wedding. So they were all invited. Now, the reason I think this is important is because it sets the stage for the next verse. Now, notice that everybody was there. Mary was there. Jesus was there. All 12 of his disciples were there. So obviously, my, my take on it is that this must have been a family friend or a relative for them all to be there. Because notice in the next verse, it says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Now, the reason I say that this third verse, that it is a setup for verse 2, is that if Mary... We're just a guest. It wouldn't have mattered to her that they ran out of wine. But obviously, because it was a close family friend or relative, she did not want them embarrassed by the social faux pas that it was to run out of wine. Because it, it gave the, 
the reflection that they were just too cheap to buy enough wine for all of their guests. And so that, that was just something that put them in a really socially awkward situation. And so what was Mary's response when they had no wine? They were running out of wine. What did she do? It says that she went to Jesus and said, they have no wine. Meaning, meaning what? We, we want you to make some. They're, we have, they're, they're running out. We need more wine. And, and so Jesus said unto her woman, her madam, he didn't say mom, he didn't say mother. He just said woman. <laughs> you know, not necessarily angry, but yet he made the point that he, you know. So he said, woman, what have I do to thee? What, what part? Do I have in common with you in this? He says, he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. The, uh, uh, the Passion Translation says, my hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. The Message Bible says, this isn't my time, so don't push me. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Think about that. Now, here's the key. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 32, in which John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit of God descending from heaven like a dove, and it, it, he lit on Jesus, and he remained with him. So notice that there, this, so far in Jesus' ministry, he had not performed even one miracle. Why? Because miracles only come through and by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Only after the Holy Spirit came and lit upon Jesus to empower him for miracle ministry did miracles start taking place. Now, here's the key point. To Mary, if Jesus performed this miracle, it was just no big deal. But for Jesus, it meant everything would change. Because it meant that now miracles were going to attend everywhere he went and everything he did. So this was a major deal for him. So notice that he said that this isn't my time, don't push me. Or the hour of the unveiling of my power has not yet come. So what did she do? What a typical mother would do. She just ignored him. She said in, in verse five in the message, she just went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thing? Whatever, whatever he says for you to do, do it. And so what happened? So there were set there six water pots of stone and after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins each or 20 to 30 gallons capacity for each one of six water pots. So that means that they could hold 120 gallons total or on the high end, 150 gallons. And so Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And that's what they did. They filled them up to the brim. And then he said, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And so they bore it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, 
which he, he didn't know what was happening, but the servants which drew the water knew that the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning to set forth the good wine, and when men have well drunk, then they bring out the worst, the cheap stuff. But you have kept the good wine until the end, until now. Now, here's the key thing. I, I looked up last night, I Googled this. I Googled, what is the average serving of wine? In America, it came out five ounces. Five ounces. That means for every gallon, there's 128 servings of wine. So if you have 120 gallons of wine, you've got 15,360 servings, five ounce servings of wine. If you've got 150 gallons, you've got 19,200 gallons. You know, I don't know how many people they had there, but I seriously doubt it was that many. And that is just like Jesus. Everywhere he went, it was always more, more than enough. When he fed the 5,000, 12 basketfuls were, were left over. He, he used to say, master, at more than enough. But here's the point. Here's the point. That the God of the impossible is not limited by any normal, natural rule or law. Think about that. That means that he can override, overrule, that he can do whatever he does. He just suspends natural law. How about walking on the water? You can't walk on water. The surface tension of water is not enough to hold anybody up where they can walk on it. But Jesus did. Why? Because they supernaturally suspended any law of gravity, of nature, of whatever it is. So when, when we talk about the God of the impossible, we're talking about somebody unlimited in power and ability. Now, I notice the governor said, the master of the wedding said, you have kept the good wine. So good wine in this context would be aged wine. You know, if you go and you buy a bottle of wine and, and it's a real expensive wine, chances are it's three, four, five, every many years. It's, it's aged wine. But this wine happened in an instant. Think about that. In an instant. It went from being water to the good stuff. Aged wine in a moment of time. I mean, that, that is, that, that, when you just, part, just think, let that, just ruminate on that today. Let that, that soak in that God is unlimited in his power and in his ability. So, because this is, in my estimation, an overriding foundational principle that I think each of us need to buy into, that God's unlimited and power and ability. He's not bound by any natural law or natural regulation or natural rule, but simply because he is God himself that he can do the impossible and make it possible. Amen. So I want you just to think, think about what that means in your own life right now. Remember last Sunday I told you to Think about the things which you are undergoing right now in your own life. Problems, trouble, situations that are seemingly impossible for you 
to surmount, for you to change. And I, I said, I want you to think about those, and then I want you to name them. Either write them down or in your mind, I want you to categorize them about this and this. It might be a marriage issue. It might be a money issue. It might be a, a health issue. It might be a job issue. It might be some other area of vocational of your life. Some issue that you are facing today that in your estimation seems impossible. Seems impossible. So... I gave you a roadmap that we're going to take in order to make the impossible, the seemingly, what is humanly impossible, possible with God. Amen. Amen. Possible with God. But I want to give you something that I think this morning is really, really going to help you. Go to Mark chapter 11 with me, if you would. Mark chapter 11. Mark 11 Faith only has two ways in which it expresses itself. By the words you speak and by the actions you take. Only two ways. By the words you speak and by the actions that you take. Now, with that in mind, listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. I mean, I'm sorry, beginning verse 12. Yeah, verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. But the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Who did he say that to? A tree, a fig tree. Jesus spoke to a fig tree and he said, no man will ever eat fruit of fear from this moment on. And so they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught saying this, if it is not written, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves." And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And so when the evening was come, they went back out of the city, and in the morning as they came back, they passed by, and they saw the fig tree dried up from where? The roots. Dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree, the fig tree, he says, which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said to them, have faith in God. Maybe you might want to say it this way, have the faith of God. And then he's going to tell them how the faith of God works or how faith in God works. Remember, he just cursed that victory, spoke words to it. Now, you might have thought, Jesus is crazy. He's talking to victories. I mean, this is over the top. But then he comes back, and as an object lesson, this tree dried up 
from the roots. Now, here's the key point. Words carry power. Words carry power. The words that you speak carry power. They carry and contain faith or fear. But words carry power. Now, I'm amazed from reading the New Testament and the Old, how, how much a premium God puts on the words we speak, the words we speak. And, and so because of that, I, I'm constantly taken aback by how people have no connection between the words they speak and the outcome they experience in life. It's just a total disconnect. As if words really don't matter. But your words carry power. Now, I've heard people say, you know what? There's rumors that there's going to be a layoff down at the plant, and I guarantee you I'll be the first one laid off. You're a fool. The Bible has a word for that. It's called foolish. 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 Why would you want to prophesy a negative outcome for your life. There are people that say every year when we get ready to go on vacation, all the kids get sick. You know, probably going to be the same thing this year. Again, prophesying your own. Now, see, you might thought that's silly or you're silly because you don't understand that the words you speak determine the outcome you experience in life. You know, we, we live in a culture of death. People say all the time, oh, that's killing me. That's just killing me. You're killing me. So listen to what Jesus said, though, about the power of your words. He says this, Verily I say unto you that whosoever, that means you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Now, in the New Testament, mountains are always indicative of trouble, tribulation, trial, problematic issues that loom like a mountain in your life. So mountains are always things that are difficult to surmount. And so it represents things that come your way in life that are problematic to your success. They stand in your way. They hinder you. They hold you back. And so we're talking about mountains. So Jesus said this, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. What did Jesus just do to the fig tree? He said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. So now he's going to give them the spiritual principle. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, then he shall have whatever he saith. Now, what is Jesus giving them counsel about? How to deal with problems in your life how to deal with mountains of adversities that you face. 
how to deal with symptoms, things that are seemingly impossible to bring them over to the other side of the ledger where they become possible with God. So he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he did not say pray. He did not say talk to God about your mountain, about your problem. He said, whosoever, meaning the person experiencing the mountain of trouble, is to say to that mountain, that trouble, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. Or we might use the word uprooted. Or we might use the word dislodged. Or we might use the word taken away or removed. So what am I doing? I'm going to take the problematic issues in my life that I'm facing, that I'm, I wanted you to go through and just think about those issues that are seemingly impossible. And then I want you to begin to speak to them. Speak to pain in your body. Speak to dis-ease in your body. Speak to your dead pocketbook, your empty savings account. Speak to your job. Speak to, in other words, whatever it is that's problematic, what did Jesus say? He said, I want you to give a command of faith to that mountain. Command it to be removed and cast into the sea. He's not talking about real mountains, but he is talking about mountains of adversity, of trouble, of things which to you seem like that things are never, ever going to change. So I want you to speak to that mountain. So what do we need to do? Number one, we need to identify the mountains that we are facing, that we're facing. And then I'm gonna, number two, I'm gonna go to the Bible and I'm gonna ask myself this question, has God said anything about my mountain, my problem, the troubles that I'm experiencing? Do I, do I have any covenant word from God that would cover this situation? Or has God done anything through the cross of Calvary that might affect the outcome of this mountain that I am facing? And then I'm simply going to agree with God. That's the A of the ABCs of faith. I'm simply going to agree with God. I'm not going to agree with the devil by accepting this problem that has brought his pajamas and moved in my house and I'm gonna drive it out. I'm gonna drive that thing out of my life. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to drive that thing out of your life. How? By speaking to it. Words. Words. See, words contain power. Um, microwave energy cooks food in a microwave. My, years ago, my, my dad was an engineer and they would go into naval air stations and they would retrofit all of their radar units. And they all knew that if you made the mistake of walking or standing in front of one of those radar units when it was on, it would cook you on the inside. You couldn't see those rays that energy, those waves of energy emanating from that radar station, but nonetheless, they were real, even though they were invisible. When Jesus spoke those words to that fig tree, you couldn't see little waves of energy coming out of his mouth, could you? 
any more than you can see waves of energy coming out of your mouth. But see, this is an article of faith that we accept. By faith, we understand that Jesus framed the worlds by speaking the word of God. That's how he created. And we understand that. As as an article of our faith, we understand that that's how God creates. We know that when he said to Adam and Eve, when he said to, to, I mean, to Abraham and to Sarah, when he said to Abram, that you shall be a father of many nations. That's how God created. That's what empowered Abraham and Sarah, Abraham at 100 and Sarah at 90, her womb dead and, and, and Abraham totally impotent. That's what empowered them to have a baby was what God said. See, God, Romans 4 says, God calls those things which be not as though they were. God calls, see, when you understand, this is how God works. God calls those things which be not as though they were. And so when you start speaking to your body, pain in your body, and you command pain, leave, leave my body, When you command cancer, leave my body. I curse every cancer cell in Jesus' name. What are you doing? You're speaking words that that carry life, that carry life. Amen? Think about that, that carry life. When you fill your mouth and your heart with the promises of God. See, there's no promise that God won't fulfill. But you have to fill your mouth with those promises and your heart. By number one, agreeing with God. So I'm going to take whatever God says about me in the Bible. I'm going to agree with what he says. Not my circumstances. I'm not agreeing with the devil and the devil's work. I'm going to agree with what God said. And then I'm going to be. I'm going to believe it. And then see, I'm going to boldly confess it. The word homoglio is the word confess. It means homos, which means same, and the word logio, which means to say. So I'm going to say the same thing about me that God says about me in the Bible. So if he says that I'm more than a conqueror, then I am. I'm more than a conqueror. If he says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, then that's who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ. I'm just going to agree with everything God says about me. And this is the key. Here's the answer book to every problem you face. There's an answer in here. Generally, more than one scripture that covers your need in life. And so, see, I always thought you just wagged the Bible to church and when church is over, you threw it in the back of the car and then next Sunday you dig it out. I didn't know this was the manufacturer's handbook on how to live your life successfully. I didn't know that this could make all the difference in the world. Think about it. How about the one on prayer? That that there is not a prayer that God won't answer because God's word is his part of your prayer life. I'm simply going to find the scriptures and I'm going to pray the scriptures. I'm going to start with the answer. I want to know what is God's will in this particular situation. And to find the will of God, I go to the word of God because they are one and the same. God's word is his will. How about his will concerning salvation? Well, then I go over to 2 Peter and I find that scripture that says God is not willing 
that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. He's not willing. He does not will any person to go to hell. He didn't create hell for people, but yet, but, but for the devil and the fallen angels. So I want you to see that once I settle on the word of God, the will of God, then I'm going to pray it. I'm going to stand on it. I mean, there have been times that honestly, the only thing that stood between our family going under was the word of God. There are times that the only thing that, that stood between life and death for us was the word of God. There were times that the only thing that stood between going under or going over was the word of God. And this is what we held to. Even when it looked like nothing was working, even when it looked like nothing was happening, we just stuck with the word, stuck with the word, stuck with the word, stuck with the word. Amen. And God honors his word. But notice that my part is that I speak it out. I'm going to speak it to the mountain. And I'm going to command that mountain of adversity, that mountain of debt, that mountain of whatever. It might be to leave my life. Amen. Maybe you have a, a family history of diabetes or just fill in the blank. Then you need to speak to that thing and break its dominion and its power over your life. So that there will no longer be that, that, that thing passed down to you from generations before. And so we, we have that power, that ability to break the cycle of that thing and that, that thing stops right here with me, amen. And it's not going to my children or their children. Think, just think about it. this one verse that we just read, Mark eleven twenty three can change your life forever. Notice saying is three times, believing is one time. So he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, whatever that mountain is, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says, says, shall come to pass, then he's going to possess whatever he says. That's, that's, that's extraordinary. That is just simply extraordinary. And you know what? It is life transforming. Life transforming. That if I will believe that those things which I say shall come to pass, then guess what? I'm going to have whatever I say. The problem is, is people are saying what they have, which I have nothing. I'm sick, I'm this. So what, what they're saying, what their present day circumstances are screaming loudly, rather than what they want and desire and possess by covenant right from the word of God. So quit saying what you have and start having what you say. You'll get that tonight about 10 o'clock. That, that it'll hit you big. And you'll see that you can start speaking Speaking to mountains, mountains of adversity, mountains of adversity in your life, whatever they might be. And, and, and I'm sure I, I'm positive because I, I know the human condition that everybody is experiencing some sort of difficulty. 
And here's the prescription about how to send that mountain packing. Amen. Take the devil in his pajamas and kick him out of your house. Amen. Out of your house. And so Pastor Ren and I have been, we've been renewing ourselves in this area by speaking to mountains, problematic things. So you, 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 what you tolerate is what you'll live with. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, then you'll finally do something and, and, and begin to stand up on the inside, stand up on the inside by faith and begin to speak to those problematic issues that you're experiencing in life. Notice he never said a word about prayer. He never said a word about talking to God about your problems. But he said, speak to those problems in the same way that Jesus spoke to the victory. But you might say, well, people will think I'm crazy. They already think you're crazy. You know, so, you know, think about it. You know, I mean, we, we've had people, my, my twin brother, <laughs> my twin brother Larry told me, you, you, you're crazy. You and Anna are crazy. You're crazy. Until one night we spent the night with him and we were in, in a bedroom that they were, we were staying in and we were sitting on the bed and I just said to him, have you ever heard anybody speak in other tongues? And before he could answer, I just started speaking in my prayer language and it was just an amazing thing and prayed, laid hands on him and prayed that night and he became an overnight fanatic like I did. Amen. And prayed for Susan. So this stuff, this stuff really does, it really does work. But it works for people that put it to work. Amen. Put it to work. So God is not limited by any issue that might hold you captive. He's unlimited in power and ability. So this is, this is the baseline. This is where we start that God is unlimited. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's say this out together. Would you say it? Heavenly Father, thank you today that I believe that you are unlimited in power and ability and that you have given me the great privilege to speak words that carry power and authority. I commit today to speak to every mountain that I face. I'm gonna command those mountains, get out of my life, never return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Give the Lord a shout. Would you do that? Amen.